We're in this series right now, we're talking about divine impact, and we're talking about our responsibility to join God and what he's doing in the world. Again, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. The last words of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Matthew, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We have a responsibility to join with God in bringing his impact into the world, in sharing the gospel and in, in showing what it means to, to know God and to walk with him. We're also praying for revival. If you uh, would, uh, look in your bulletin real quick. Look at our, what our prayer focus is. And I want to encourage you again to, to pray for this every day. Uh, we are soon going to remove our focus from our being revived to an awakening. Uh, as we enter into 2020, we're going to begin to pray for an awakening in our community and asking God to redeem many. Uh, part of this prayer and a part of the season that we're in of prayer uh, has to do with getting us ready for that. This week, we are to pray that God will grant the believers an agonizing burden for lost people and an unceasing desire to share the gospel with them. There's, there's more to that, but that's the heart of it. I want to encourage you to be praying for that, to be mindful of that, uh, to join God in what he's doing. This series, we've, we've, we've been really focused in on that as we've been looking at this last chapter of Colossians. Last week, we studied God's word and it challenged us to be encouragers in the divine impact that God is making in our life and in the world. Uh, we looked at the life of Tychicus and Onesimus and the apostle Paul. And we were reminded again of what our calling is as a congregation. We are a family of disciples impacting our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. This is who we are. This is what we are about. I know some of you are about to enter into membership class this afternoon. And again, if this is your church family and you're, uh, you know that this is where you're supposed to be, you haven't joined yet, 16 years and older. If you are 16 years old and you have not yet gone through membership class, you need to go through membership class and you need to place your membership here and you actually need to go through the process because it's time for you to act like an adult and we expect that of you. God's word expects that of you and we're here to challenge you for the two years you're still in high school as you enter into adulthood. Our, our scripture this week is going to challenge us to, to be caring and to give care as a means by which we can make an impact in the world. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just still so fascinated with this whole story about Kanye West coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And I, I wondered if like the, the enthusiasm around his faith, if it would sort of die down. Because I, I had the sense that the mainstream media does not want this message to continue with the enthusiasm that it certainly did last week. And I did notice that there was a bit of a, a dip in the attention that the mainstream media was giving it, but not the, a dip in social media. As a matter of fact, the social media, it's almost like there were people who were like, wait, what? Is this for real? And suddenly it, it actually built uh, and there's been more uh, impact of this story of, of this man's salvation. One of the things that's been funny to me is the impact it's had on Google. I, I saw a report on this yesterday. You know, Google knows when you're out of dog food, okay? So they know what, what's going on and they're listening. Well, Google has identified that there have been uh, several million more increases in searches for what does it mean to be a Christian. And, and they know that it is, it is directly tied to the dropping of Kanye's new album. They know you need dog food. They know why you're searching for stuff, okay? 
and they, they're, they're, they're seeing a direct tie to what he's saying and what is happening to the hearts and minds of people. Now, one of the things that, that Kanye was concerned about in coming out in his faith is how he would be received by the church. Somehow or another, the church has earned a reputation for not being caring. This is what he says in one of, his, in one of the songs. He says, told people God was my mission. What have you been hearing from the Christians? They'll be the first ones to judge me, make it feel like nobody loves me. Now, I am so happy to say that he has been quite overwhelmed with the response of evangelical Christians who said, God can save you. He saved me. He can save anybody. We love you. I hope you stay on the course praying for you. I think it's been a bit of a surprise. Uh, I know I, I have enjoyed seeing those celebrating his salvation. Might he fail? Sure. Might you? Yeah. We need to pray for him. His stage is significant. And, and let's pray that this is real and that God is doing an ongoing work in his life. But let's also be mindful of what he was concerned about. He was concerned that Christians wouldn't love him. That there would be judgmentalism rather than a genuine reception of him. We've got to remember what Jesus said. We are to love everybody, especially those we don't agree with. It says in Matthew chapter 5, this is the words of Jesus Christ, beginning in verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And you are never more perfect. You are never more godly than when you are being loving. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13? Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, not faith. You know why? Because faith will become sight. Not hope, because hope will be realized. Love remains for eternity because God is love. He will last. And when we are loving, we are being like God. We are being perfect. We shouldn't expect that everyone appreciates it. As a matter of fact, those who stand in opposition to God will often stand in opposition to us. You know, there was a day when the LGBT community simply wanted to be accepted and there was a request. Now it is a demand. And anyone who is not willing to fall in line with what they have determined is right and good, well, they're evil, they're hateful, they're unacceptable. The, the ones who've taken a, quite a bit of, of hit, of, of a blunt injury, it really hasn't injured them much, but they've certainly been, been hit pretty hard, is Chick-fil-A. Uh, Chick-fil-A has become uh, the favorite target of the LGBTQ community. I find it funny that in the last four years since this attack has begun, their profits have like doubled and tripled. It's like we heard our... <laughs> you're, you're clapping for Chick-fil-A, okay. <laughs> I, I, I sometimes think Christians are like... I'm buying a chicken sandwich. I may as well do it for Jesus. Chick-fil-A, here we come. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know that their leadership have certainly taken a stand. Um, interestingly, they, they, of course, they're like any business. They want to expand, and they wanted to be in Great Britain, and they opened their first store just a few months ago, and it's, and it's been recently acknowledged that they're being kicked out of Great Britain. They don't want them there. Here's why. 
The LGBT community says they're evil and they're hateful because they won't accept and acknowledge what they've decided is true. It's not that, that Chick-fil-A is going out demeaning. It's not that Chick-fil-A is out there throwing up banners saying that they hate people. It's that they won't accept the messaging of the LGBT community. And so now they are under attack. How have they responded? Several years ago, there was an attack on an LGBTQ nightclub. It's on a Saturday night. And it was discovered that there was a, a need for blood because of the victims. And there were people gathering to give blood. Chick-fil-A found out about this. And you know, they have this policy that they don't work on Sunday so that their employees can worship the Lord. Well, they broke their policy. They said, we're gonna break our policy. And if you want to, you don't have to. If you want to, you can come and serve. Well, their employees came out in mass, made free sweet tea, free lemonade, and all the chicken sandwiches that people could eat who were there giving blood to this community that hates them. That's Christianity. It's loving those who don't always love you. You know, this is what happened in the early church. This is one of the reasons there was an awakening in the early church. You know, you had this uh, emperor, uh, what was it, uh, Julian, third century. And so there was a, a plague that, that impacted the Roman uh, city and, and area. And Julian said, man, these Christians are dangerous. And here's why. It's because they're having influence because what happened was there was this plague and the Greco-Roman people were taking their own family members, their own children and leaving them out in the streets to die. You know what the Christians were doing? They were going out in those streets and bringing those sick into their own homes. And you know what they were doing? They were laying hands on them and loving them and praying for them. And you know what? Some of the Christians did die, but a lot of the, the, the Greco-Romans lived, were healed and were saved. And there became a movement amongst them. And, and they made the emperor say, listen, these Christians are going to take over. We're not careful because they're willing to do what we won't do, which is love people no matter what. Over the last 18 months, I've had a lot of conversations with our membership, conversations with people via email, direct messaging, people, some people even around the country who've messaged me with concerns about how they could care for family members and friends who are now a part of the LGBTQ community. And my response is pretty generic. You know, pray for them, love them. This week I had the opportunity to speak to a father who is, is praying through how he can care. And um, a few things he said I wanted to share with you. If you're dealing with this amongst family and friends and there's an antagonizing a voice from someone who basically says either you accept this, celebrate this, or you're out. Here's some things that, that, that I would encourage you based on the conversations to, to, to do. First of all, keep lines of communication open on your end. They may say something like, I never want to speak to you again unless you accept and celebrate what I'm doing. Never speak to me again. What you need to say is, I can't, but I will always be here. And, and I will always be glad to love you and talk with you. Now, what makes that hard is the second thing. You gotta be lovingly honest. Lovingly honest. Lying is not loving. Loving is when you say, here's the truth. I love you no matter what. Here's the truth. And, and that sometimes makes it hard for, for folks to hear us because they've so identified themselves in a lifestyle. 
And, and the third thing you, that, that we got to do, you must never accept or celebrate their sin. You must not. And, and so th that, that many times becomes a point of, of contention when you won't go to a wedding or, or you won't go to a celebration of some sort or you won't stand at, at specific times and, and you, you continue to say things that are, that are according to Scripture or, or, or you, you choose to say what they do not want you to say. And, and sometimes it's, you can come, but don't say anything while you're there. And there is, there's a command. It makes it hard. But friends, listen. I don't want to be known by my sin. And praise God, I don't have to be because Jesus Christ has forgiven me. You don't know me by what I've done. You know me by what Jesus Christ has done. And what we need to say to people who are struggling in sin is, I refuse to identify you or to acknowledge you or to celebrate your sin. I want to celebrate what God can do with your life. God can give you a new life. God can make you whole. God can heal. God can strengthen. God can do a miraculous work. I believe this. And, and we can care for people who hate us. We can love people that, that don't agree. We can be like Jesus to our world. And that's what our scripture commands us to do. If you've got your Bible, and I really hope that you do, let's go to Colossians chapter 4. Last week we looked at, at uh, Tychicus and Onesimus and the Apostle Paul. Today we're going to look at these five other men in, uh, in verses uh, 10 through 13. Uh, Keaton's going to read for us. So I'll stand together in honor of God's Word. Again, we're in Colossians chapter 4, and we're in verses uh, 10 through 13. So Keaton, read that for us. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of this circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Keaton. Well done. If you would go ahead and, and be seated. So here we have these five men, and each one gives an insight into how God expects us to care for others. So uh, as, as, as people called to make disciples, we're to love one another and care for another in these five ways, but also to those who are outside the household of faith. So take note and let's look at their lives and let's give consideration to what we're uh, commanded by God to do. Understand, disciple makers... We give care by, first of all, standing with others, by standing with them. Um, this, this man, Aristarchus, uh, he was a travel companion of Paul. He was uh, from Macedonia, uh, lived in Thessalonica, and he was Jewish. So he knew what it felt like and what it meant to be an outsider, uh, to be amongst those who did not believe as he believed or agree with a, a way of life according to the Word of God. Now, he's first mentioned in Acts 19 when an angry mob had broken out in Ephesus, and he stood with Paul. Paul didn't run. He didn't run. He stayed there risking his life. We, we see his name again mentioned in the next chapter in Acts 20, verse 4, as he's following along with Paul in the third missionary journey. He goes with him to Rome to take the offering uh, for the famine. 
Paul is arrested there. And if you know that story, you know that Paul uh, was threatened with murder. There were a group of men who said, we are going to fast. We will not eat until we kill Paul. Who stood with him? Aristarchus. This meant that his life was not only in danger of zealots, but also uh, you go on and read Acts 27, 28. There's this huge storm. He also almost dies in a boat. And then they get to Rome and Paul's imprisoned. And what does Aristarchus do? He chooses voluntary imprisonment. He chooses to stay in prison with Paul to care for him and to care for his needs. This is a man who was standing when others would have backed away. He was willing to care for Paul even though it cost him much. We are called to care for people even though they reject God, even if they they fall into horrific sinful lifestyles. We are to care for people even if they reject us and they say things, bad things about us and they, they, they cause harm. We are to care for others even if they give up on themselves and they try to pull away. We must always say, I will not give up on you. I stand for you. I love you. I am for you. God can save. God can do a miracle. I am here. I am looking forward to God's work in your life. I am looking. I am praying expectantly. You know, in Luke chapter 15, there are three powerful parables that speak to the heart of God and his love for sinners. One of the the most well-known, of course, is that of the prodigal son. And we know that the father here is a picture of God, our father. And what is he doing? He's looking for the return of the prodigal son. He's looking for this one to come back that he might show love and compassion. And so are we. We are to be looking for God to work miracles. We are to be looking and standing and anticipating of what only God can do, anticipating God's hand moving just as this one did. We we are not to be like the older brother who stands in judgment, who's critical, the very thing that Kanye West was concerned about and he sung about. That, That is not to be what notes Christians. Christians are to be those who are noted for their love. And we can do that because how we have been loved. We are to do for others what God has done for us. And what has God done for us? Did God say, hey, straighten up and then I'll love you? It's not the gospel. What is the gospel? Romans 5, 8, what does it tell us? But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't that Christ died for us because we were given a good effort. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And his atoning death not only paid the penalty for our sin, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we were given a new heart and a new mind so that we can then pursue and recover God's design. Don't miss this with the three circles. This is such an important element and why I find it so effective in making disciples is because once we repent and believe the gospel, friends, we are freed to pursue and recover God's design. There are those who are trapped in sin and they can't help but sin. Their hearts are dead to God's love. Their minds are overcome and in bondage to sin. They can't imagine what it would be like to be holy. They can't imagine what it would be free from guilt and shame. They can't imagine being identified by anything other than what tempts them and what they desire in their flesh. We who believe must stand. Stand firm on what we believe. Stand firm on what God can do, believing that God can and may do it. And so share and pray and love and anticipation what God can do. No matter what they do, we stand for them with the love of Jesus Christ. Second, disciple makers give care by restoring others. 
See there in verse 10, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now that was a bit of a different message than that had been previously stated of Mark, also known as John Mark, the author of our second gospel, the gospel of Mark. Uh, he was raised in a godly household. We read about his mother in Acts 12, 12, as, as Mary who kept an open house for believers. When Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary trip, Mark went with them, but somewhere along the way, he quit. Somewhere along the way, we don't know why scripture doesn't say, he turned away and said, I'm not going anymore, I'm done. And he left them hanging in the midst of a missions trip. Later on, uh, it was time for Paul and Barnabas to go on another trip. Mark was willing to go. And, and Barnabas says, he's going with us. And Paul said, you read about it in the end of Acts 15. Paul said, he ain't going. He blew it, he ain't going. And there was such a dispute that arose between the two of them that Paul and Barnabas went separate ways with Barnabas and, and Mark going to Crete and the apostle Paul taking Silas and a few others going on a different missionary trip. Paul had not forgiven Mark, but he, at some point he did. At some point, there was a restoration of Mark's ministry because we read in 2 Timothy 4.11, the apostle Paul writes, take Mark and bring him with you for he is profitable to me in the ministry. So at some point, there was a restoration in their relationship. At some point, there was a restoration in Mark's ministry. Friends, I, I want you to know, sometimes we're, sometimes we're Mark. Sometimes we're Paul. Sometimes we need to be restored. Sometimes it's our sin or our apathy or our blindness to a situation. And we need someone who loves us to come and say, what you're doing is wrong. What you've done is not right. You need to repent. And they seek for us to be restored to the way of Christ. When that happens, friends, be humble and receive it as a word from God. The worst thing you can do is to attack the messenger who is sharing with you the word of God and in your pride, reject the restoration that God would bring. Now, if you are the one restoring, and this is going to happen to you, if you're gonna walk with Christ for any, for any amount of time, you are gonna come across people who have fallen into sin, who need to be restored back to the way. And it's your responsibility, it's your job as a Christ follower. When that happens, always refer back to Galatians 6, 1 and 2. When it comes time for restoration, a restoration ministry, Galatians 6, 1 and 2 is what you've got to hearken to. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him, look at this, in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Can I tell you how many times people who were in a restoration ministry fell into the very sin of those that they were supposed to be restoring? And then... Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Sometimes you got to shoulder up. And, and you got to be willing to walk with them and help them to be free of whatever has held them for so long. When it comes to restoration, one of the key components of that is forgiveness. And that's the third thing. Disciple makers give care by forgiving others. And that's what we see in Mark's cousin, Barnabas. Now we talked about Barnabas last week. His name is, is actually not his formal name. Barnabas is a nickname, means son of encouragement, which I think is like the coolest ever. You old son of encouragement, get over here. Now, Paul 
and Barnabas at some point had a restoration and there was a forgiveness. I wonder what that was like for the Apostle Paul. And did that impact his ministry with Mark? Scripture doesn't say. But I can't imagine Barnabas at some point saying to Paul, you know, Paul, I forgave you. And let's not forget, Paul had imprisoned and killed people that Barnabas loved who were members of the church in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. At some point, Barnabas forgave Paul. At some point, Barnabas forgave Mark. Friends, forgiveness is a command Christians are to obey. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another. I know moms and dads say that their kids all the time and the kids think that that's optional. No, it's not. Our Father in heaven says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. This is a command, and understand it's a command with teeth. Go back and read all of Matthew 18 to get the context of the verses I want to share with you this morning. But look at the warning that Jesus gives us in Matthew 18, here in the last part of verse 34 and 35. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. Go back and get the full story on that. Jesus said, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus is basically saying, if you don't forgive others, it's because you yourself have never truly received the full forgiveness of what God has done for you. Because there's no way that you who've been forgiven an eternal debt could hold such a temporal debt against someone else. Jesus commands it and he threatens a reality if we don't forgive. Friends, forgiveness is, is, is crucial because shame and guilt are so heavy. Some of you today, you're, you're carrying this. Some of you, listen to me, are making other people carry a weight they need to be freed from. I had a friend of mine, I hadn't seen him in a few months, and uh, he'd lost 30 pounds. And I was like, wow, dude, you've been fat a long time. What, what inspired this? We're friends, open communication, honest love, all right? You know, that's what we do. Of course, he laughed, told me I need to lose some, and then we got on with it. But he, I said, what happened? He said, well, I went to the doctor. The doctor said, I want you to go home. He said, do you have weights? He said, yeah. He said, I want you to take two 15-pound weights and carry it around all day. He did. He felt terrible. He said, that's what you're doing to yourself now. You're carrying an extra 30 pounds you need to get rid of. Friends, can I tell you that guilt and shame are way heavier than 30 pounds or 100 pounds or 500 pounds? Some of you are causing people to carry that weight. You need to forgive them. You need to tell them that you've forgiven them. Now, they may not care. They may continue to carry that weight around. That's not on you. Your job is to forgive. Some of you need to seek forgiveness. Some of you have been carrying this weight around too long. The first place you need to begin is with God. You need to come get on your knees today and say, God, forgive me. Because my sin is first and foremost against you. And then you need to contact the person and ask them to forgive you for whatever you've done. Now, if they don't forgive you, that's not on you. That's on them. But as far as it is up to you, seek peace, seek forgiveness, give forgiveness. Fourth, 
Disciple makers give care by serving others. So now we come across this brother, Justice. We don't know very much about this guy. The commentators, uh, uh, my favorite one said this, Justice represents those faithful believers who serve God, but whose deeds are not announced for the whole world to know. You know, one of the things I love most about Living Hope, it's the uncelebrated service that happens every single day of every single week in our city and world because of the membership here who are out honoring God and doing kind, caring things for other people. You know, I kind of have an interesting perspective on our congregation. Um, it, it dawns on me from time to time when people come to my office who've never been there and they say, and people have said this many times when they come to my office, it's like coming to the principal's office. And I always with a smile say, well, I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> they sit down, you know, and it's like, it's just so weird to be in here. It's like, dude, just relax. It's an office. But it is funny because typically people that come to my office have done something really bad or really good. Not a whole lot in between there, right? Can I tell you, there, there, are, there are more folks doing really good things that I, I get to see and hear about than we would have time in a single service to celebrate that have happened in the last six days. Friends, I know many of you are serving as elders, as deacons, as small group leaders, as, as people at school and at work where, you, where you're hanging out. You're just being light. And I may not see it, and other people may not see it, but can I assure you of this? God sees it. And he's proud of you. And there's going to be a judgment day, and he's going to say, remember this day, remember this day, and he's going to celebrate it to the glory of his name because you're his kid. Continue to serve well. Don't worry about whether or not anyone sees it. Know that God sees it and it pleases him. And it's a way for you to fulfill the great commission. As a disciple maker, we are all, we are all called to serve others. And last, disciple makers give care by praying for others. Now look, I, I know this would be real easy just to kind of slosh over. Ah, oh, prayer, got it, got it. But don't do that. Look at verse 12 with me. Look at how Epaphras prayed. Now again, remember Epaphras he was the one that had come to saving faith probably when Paul was at Ephesus. Remember, he's the one who probably founded this church, came, shared the gospel. People were saved and baptized. They formed the church. Remember, they took up something like a gift for Christ for him and sent him to Rome. And, and he, was, he was there serving Paul. And so he would take Aristarchus' place. There are days when Epaphras would go into the prison and he would stay with Paul to give Aristarchus a, a, a respite. So this is a brother that had been in prison with Paul voluntarily. Paul knew about a lot of different people. He mentions all of it. You know, Epaphras is the only one that he mentions his prayer life. There are all these other great servants, great people. Epaphras is the one he notes his prayer life. Now look what he says about his prayer life. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Look how he prayed. Always. He was always praying. Look at how he was praying. 
struggling. The Greek word is agonizo. It's where we get our word agonizing. He was in agonizing prayer. Do your family and friends, do they see you as a person who is always praying, who is, who is in agony in prayer for lost people, for, for the church, for needs? Look what else it says. He says, prayed on your behalf. He's praying personally. He knows what's going on with people. He's praying for, 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 for folks that he knows and, and, and he's concerned about and he cares about. And lastly, he prayed specifically. Look what he was praying for. That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Friends, I, I pray every morning. And I have a prayer journal. And a, and a portion of my prayer time is thanks. And what I do in that is that I thank God for the way he has specifically answered prayers. And can I tell you, every day I have a section to, to give thanks to God because I prayed specifically and I can, I can point specifically to how God has answered that prayer. You and I, we need to pray so specifically that when God answers the prayer, we can give him thanks for it. It's not enough to give a general, oh, Lord, bless them. Well, what does that mean? Be specific. What would it mean for God to bless your marriage? What would it mean for God to bless your children? What would it mean for you to, for God to bless the kids you're at school with, for the people you work with, for your parents, for other people? Be specific so that when God answers that prayer, you'll know it was God and you can give him thanks. This morning we have just a few moments to pray, to be specific. The stuff I've been talking about this morning, some of you can't do it because you're not Christians. And the very specific prayer you need to pray for is this. Jesus, forgive me and take over my life. I want to be a Christian. It's exactly what you need to pray this morning on your knees here at the front. Some of you, you can't do it. I've talked about this morning because you're grieving the Holy Spirit. You're living in sin. You're not living for the glory of God. You're living for you. And so long as that is the case... You cannot care for others. You cannot walk in step with the Spirit. You need to repent and be revived. For those who are walking with God, friends, come and pray for revival. Come and pray in agony. Pray that we will agonize in prayer for our community, for our church. And some of you know some marriages that are struggling, some, 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 some folks that are carrying a weight of a burden of their sin, of a lifestyle, that they want everyone else to accept, but it's sin and they need to be freed from it. Come pray for their salvation and for God to do a work in their life. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord, we have just a moment now. And Lord, I, I ask that you would hear uh, as we corporately pray for revival, but also, Lord, as we pray for individuals' needs. God, if some need to come and be saved today, I pray they will. For some who need to come, and renew their life, be revived in their walk with you, that they would humbly, happily come and yield themselves before you. But Lord, as, as many of us are right now about to, to advocate, as we are now going to lift up the names of some, Lord, hear these prayers. Give us specific ways to pray. And according to your power, work. In a spirit of prayer, come, come now. Let's, let's pray. Come and pray as we sing.